Hey Citywide, we're thankful and so grateful for all of you tuning into our podcast. For this month's series, Pastor Lewis Burgos will be speaking about the end. We're going to be exploring what the Bible says about the end times, what it will be like, and how the church must be prepared. I know without a shadow of a doubt, the next couple of weeks is going to draw us closer to God like never before. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerful message. God bless. You know, today must have been a really big day for that family. I bet you Jen picked out her dress and probably went shopping for weeks. Who knows? I know when I went to look for my daughter's presentation dress, we kind of just shopped forever. Went to little stores I never even knew existed where they have dresses for babies or 400 and 500 devil dollars. Amen. (laughs) And I bet you they picked out their outfits and everything because today was a big day. And you know what often happens is when you have a big day, you make big preparations, right? Well, all my married folks in the building, even those who don't want to admit it, raise your hand. Any married folks in the building? Praise God. Single people, this is your opportunity. Look around, see who's not available. Yes, we got our hands up. We are taken in the name of Jesus. And, and the thing is, on your wedding day, in the weeks leading up, you made a lot of preparation. And all the husbands are like, I, I didn't. That's weird. That's probably because your wife did all of it. I heard a yup. I heard two yups over there. And one was really long. So her husband must be like, you know, yup, okay. So you make a lot of preparations for big days. You save a lot of money. And you prepare yourself. You know, the day before every girl's wedding. Manny, Patty, you know. Getting pretty, doing this, doing that, rehearsal dinner. You have a lot of preparation. You prepare how the people are going to walk down the aisle the way you want them to. Be in step. Play this song. And then you get to the, you get to the wedding and it goes by like this. $16,000, like that. 20, 30, whatever you spent, five, amen. And it goes so fast. Like the, the photographer's pulling you from table to table to table. And you got to greet everybody. But you make a lot of preparations. Whatever your big day was. Maybe your big day was a big career change and you made a lot of preparations. Maybe your big day was a birthday and you made a lot of preparations. But can I challenge you in this moment that the biggest day of your life, if God sees fit, is the return of Christ and you marrying Jesus in the heavens. And I came today to ask you, what preparations are you making for that big day? Because if it's the biggest day of our eternal life, then why are we as a church, as individual Christians, not making preparations for the thing that we are looking forward to in our faith? All of our faith is culminated in the fact that one day we're going to meet the Lord Jesus in the skies. If God sees fit for our generation to be the ones to witness the the perusia, as some call it, the rapture of the church. 
And we've been talking for two weeks now, and this is our third week, about what the end times will look like. We looked at what the world would look like. We know the Bible says the world will be sinful, the world will be violent, the world will be rejecting God's message, the world will be in deep turmoil and deep sin. We know that. But then we fast forwarded to what the church would look like. And Paul, he gives an amazing view. He gives 19 things in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 19 things that would be wrong with the church. And we looked at how five of the ten virgins had no oil. And we talked about last week how scripturally what it's really saying to us is more than half, if not half, of the church will not be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And we ended it on the, on the high plus the low note of will he be able to say to you, I do not know you, or will he say, I know you? And so today I want to speak to you on what the responsibility of the church is now that we know that the world is exactly the way Scripture said it would be. We know the church is falling into the place that the Scripture said it would be where there would be false doctrines and there would be, there would be people falling away from the truth and there would be all types of pride and arrogance and lack of self-control. There would be people with haughty spirits and, and all types of issues in the church. We know this. What is the church's response to the fact that our biggest day is coming. What is our response to the fact that the greatest thing is coming? And here's the problem with the return of Christ. Here's the big problem for most of you people, especially like we said in week one, if you grew up Pentecostal, it's a problem because they told you since the beginning, Jesus is coming. Jesus viene. (laughs) And we got tired of hearing that Jesus was coming. And so we stopped preparing for Jesus coming. And we stop being watchful and we stop being mindful. Can I tell you the most prayer-filled day in recent history? It was May 21st, 2011. Anybody know what May 21st, 2011 was? It was that guy, Harold Camping, who had told everybody, this is the end of the world. May 21st, Jesus is coming. This is it. And most of you got on your Bible and said, the Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour. But I bet when that day rolled around, you were praying and saying, Jesus, just in case this fool is right. (laughs) The laughing signifies guilt. Just in case he is right, I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus. Want to go to the club tonight? Thirsty Thursday. Not today. Not today, devil. Walking with Jesus. He might be coming. And then when you went to sleep, you waited till midnight. Uh-huh. You waited to see. You know what's messed up about that? On May 21st, he was supposed to come, and I was supposed to get married on the 27th. And I'm thinking like, God, if you come, even though I know this is not biblical, if you do come, I will be so upset. I was so close, but yet so far. And the people who followed this man, Harold Camping, he, or rather they, sold their homes, gave their life savings, emptied out mutual funds, emptied out 401ks, took out Roth IRAs, took all their money out and gave it to this ministry. And they spent hundreds of millions of dollars telling the United States and the rest of the planet, the end is coming. These jokers came to Bridgeport with a big tour bus that said the end is coming. It was impressive. But they were caught up in a lie. 
And they prepared for something that wasn't right, that wasn't true. And it's not the first time in history. Jehovah's Witness, the church of Jehovah's Witness started with a man who said the rapture was happening on a certain day. And if you start wrong, ain't nothing going to be right. That's how you know it's a false doctrine. It's a cult. The church of Jesus, uh, the, the church of uh, the Jesus of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, same exact thing. John Smith said that the rapture is happening this certain day. And anyone who says the rapture is happens and starts a branch of Christianity, they're wrong. Because Jesus said, no man knows the day and no man knows the hour. And so here's the greatest question for the church. How am I supposed to prepare for a day that I don't know when it's coming? How am I supposed to prepare for this supposed return of Jesus who they've been talking about for 2,000 years and the apostles would say the day is near, the day is near. And yet 2,000 years later, were they wrong? Is this real? Is this true? What do I do with it? And we find our answer in Scripture in Mark, the 13th chapter. If you would turn there or click there, whatever it is you do. Mark chapter 13, we find ourselves with Jesus giving a discourse to his disciples on what the end times would look like. And he begins to talk to them about the signs of the time. He begins to talk to them about wars and famines and plagues and all these things that would happen. And church, it's things that we're seeing all around us now. And this is not a message to make you fearful, but to make you joyful. Because the world and because religion has taken the greatest event in the history of the church that is prophesied and made it the scariest thing on the face of the earth. Because when you talk about the rapture in church, folks get scared. Folks get fearful. But let's not turn a thing of love into a thing of fear. Don't let the enemy trick you into being fearful of your final unity with Christ. But we should be joyful about our unity with Jesus. In Mark chapter 13, in the 32nd verse, and I'll read down to verse 37. Jesus says this, but concerning that day or that hour, talking about the second coming, the rapture, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Listen, Harold Camping, if the angels don't know, I don't think you know. I I don't think you know. And then when it didn't happen, they said an invisible rapture happened, but whatever. That don't make sense. He says, nor the son. If Jesus don't know, there's no way you can tell me that you know. That's a false prophet, but only the Father. So verse 33, Jesus begins to give us what we should do in the meantime. He says, be on guard and keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. For it is like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to, somebody say, stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, he says, I say to all, stay awake. Come on, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to meet here as a congregant body, to meet here as a church, Father. We, we thank you, Lord. We ask you now that your word would penetrate our hearts, God, that you would just begin to turn over the soil of our hearts, God. That if anyone today is even fearful of your coming, that you would grant peace, Father. For, Lord, religion scares, but Jesus brings love and peace. 
So I ask you now that you would open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus declares that no one knows the day and that no one knows the hour when he will return from, or rather, for the church. And, and, and if you look at eschatological studies, which is just a really big word that means the study, the biblical study of the end times, we are in the greatest place in human history for Jesus to be able to come back. Every single prophecy I've given you over the last couple of weeks, uh, 17, I believe, different prophecies and, that have happened over the, over the years, over the last just 100 years, that we have seen God do, and more and more are happening every day. And so Jesus begins to tell his, peop- his disciples, they took him aside, and they said, Master, when will all these things happen? And he begins to tell them, and then he gives them what they should do in the meantime. I don't know about you, but to me, it's really important to know what I should do in light of Jesus coming. So if I know that Jesus is coming, I'm going to listen to what he says. And he likens his coming, and he gives us a story. It's like a man who goes on a journey, and he leaves his servants with a certain amount of work, and he tells them to be, somebody say, watchful. Among the greatest tasks that Jesus gave you as a Christian is that you might be watchful. Point number one is extremely simple. I must be watchful. If I'm going to be a Christian, then I must keep my eyes on Christ. But keeping my eyes on Christ does not mean living my daily life. You see, there's this pervasive lie that because Jesus is coming, that we should stop and cease our lives. That we should go ahead and just give up on on, on moving forward in life and we shouldn't look towards the joys that God has prepared for us in this life and we should just forget everything. People, when they heard Jesus was coming in 2011, they sold everything. And the problem with giving everything is that when he didn't come, you have nothing. Because everything means everything. And they sold their homes, sold their cars, And they began to just spread this message. And Jesus says, don't be deceived. Be, somebody say, watchful. We don't know when he will come. We don't know when he's going to come. But we must stay alert. And the temptation for us is that because we've heard it for so long and our parents told it for so many years and people waited way before us that we don't watch for Jesus. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to this church in Thessalonica because in the first part, 1 Thessalonians, he wrote to them about the return of Jesus. I almost find the second book humorous because a, a false teacher crept into the church and taught them that Jesus had already come back and they were all left behind. So they sent a messenger to see if Paul was there or not. And so Paul writes them a letter back. He's like, guys, you have not been left behind. And he begins to give them also instructions. And one of the instructions he gives them in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 is to stand firm in the faith. You know, your job is to stand firm in Jesus Christ in a world that rejects Jesus, in a world that doesn't want anything to do with being Christian, in a world that wants nothing to do with godly biblical morals. He says you have to stand firm for in the last days we will see perilous times where people will no longer put up with sound doctrine. So you must stand firm and be watchful for the return of Jesus. What does stand firm mean? It does not mean to sit there and just 
just be so holy that you are no earthly good. It doesn't mean to sit there and tell everybody and their mother they're going to hell. Stand firm means to have a solid individual faith in Jesus Christ that no one can shake. As he told the story of the virgin, the greatest key in that story is that each virgin was in charge of having their own oil. That means that God is not coming to rapture citywide. He's coming to rapture the members of citywide. He's coming to rapture the church of Jesus Christ, not a church name. And just because you attach yourself to a church name doesn't mean you're going to be right with the Lord. You might show up one Sunday and ain't nobody going to be here. But a couple of people, amen. (laughs) I was thinking about doing a teaching on the Great Tribulation, but we shouldn't really need that because we ain't going to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be with the Lord. You got to stand firm. What does stand firm mean? It means don't be moved by every wind of doctrine and every false lie and teaching that comes forward. Don't be moved into into what many people are saying, that the Bible's outdated. The Bible is archaic. The Word of God is no longer relevant to society. Stand firm in the faith because many will come and try to dissuade you from your course. And many will come and try to make you think that everything is okay when Scripture warned us that things in the last days will be sinful and called holy. Called righteous. And the world will neglect Jesus. We have to understand that the time is drawing near. And even if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, we are still given the task by Jesus to be watchful, to stand firm in him. It doesn't mean to sit by your window and watch for Jesus. It doesn't mean to set up a telescope in your backyard and scare your children. It doesn't mean that you should quit your job, sell your home, liquidate your assets. No, it means that you must be spiritually minded to know the days and the seasons in which you live in and to understand the times and to not be foolish. I'll give you an example of being foolish. Well, I don't watch the news. Jesus is my news. How can you know the times if you are not up to date with what is happening in our world? You have to be watchful. It's not time to be taken into drunkenness. It's not time to be living carnally. It's not time to dabble in the world or to be double-minded. For if you are double-minded in your walk with Christ, you are like the man on the week of your wedding who does not know if you want to marry this woman. And you are afraid because you don't know if you really love her that much. Or you could be like the woman who doesn't know she wants to marry the man. Who leaves him standing at the altar. Can I ask you a really heart-wrenching question? Will you leave Jesus standing at the altar? Are you making preparations to meet him? Are you standing firm or are you being tossed around because of emotions, because of earthly situations, because of your, 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 your lack of ability to stand firm in the faith, or, or because of our love for the things of the world? 
about the things of the world, I'm not talking about your car, your house. I'm talking about the world loving things that displease God, like loving swearing and, and loving drunkenness and loving sexual immorality and loving a mindset that opposes God. Do you think that God, if he came now, you would be ready? You must maintain your diligence and your faith because this is not a season where God has called the church to be compromised. He's not called us to be compromised, church. He's called us to live righteously and to live holy and to be a beacon of hope for those who don't know him. Romans 13, 11, and 14, Paul writes, Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation, meaning the rapture is nearer to us than when we first believed, and the night is far gone. What does it mean by the night? He means the time of darkness apart from Christ. He means that Christ is coming, the everlasting light. He is coming to shine light into you that you will never walk in darkness again. A unity with Christ that means that you will forever be apart from sin and with Christ in eternity. That you will receive a glorified body. That you would be walking streets of gold with the Father. That you would be like Revelation 19.6 says, you would be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, the night is far spent. Notice what Jesus said in Mark. You don't know what time he's coming. It could be the first watch, second watch, third watch, or the fourth watch. All are hours of the night. He says the night is far spent. The night here is a metaphor. It is a picture of Jesus not coming yet for the church. But the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, meaning sin. Let us put on the armor of light, meaning the word of God. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, in sensuality, not in quarreling and fighting, in jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Oh, what does that mean? It means do not provide the opportunity for your flesh to fall and to go into sin. You have to be watchful for Satan, your enemy. He, the Bible says, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Be watchful, church. Be on guard for no one knows the day and no one knows the hour. The first thing that Jesus said that we, the church, should do, because in this story, the master is Jesus, the house is the church, and the servants are the people of God. And he says, I've left my servants in my house to do some work, and they should be watchful for when I return. You should be watchful. Jesus said that before the master left, he gave his servants work to do. What is the work that Jesus gave the servants to do? Because you know God. God likes giving people jobs. God creates Adam, but before he created Adam, he created a garden for Adam to have to work. And so the first thing God gave to Adam was a job. Before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. All the men should take notes. <laughs> he gave him a nice, good job. And he says, Adam, I want you to take care of my garden. And before Jesus left, we see in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, he gave the church a job to do. 
And some of you might not know that God gave you a job and some of you might not care. Can I tell you, if you don't care that God gave you a job, then you are not being watchful because you are not doing the master's work in order for you to be watchful. And he says this in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, what many of you might know was the Great Commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Do you know the last thing Jesus commanded his church to do was make disciples? Well, pastor, what does it mean to make disciples? What it means to make disciples is to lead others to Christ. Through your testimony, through your life, through your walk, with your spirit, you should lead others to Christ. Here's point number two. We are called to care and to share. We are called to care about the lost and to share the word of God. We are called as Christians. The thing that Jesus said that we should do while we are waiting for his coming is that you should care about the lost and you should share the gospel that you might be able to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is counting on you. He says in Mark chapter 13, I left my servants with a little bit of work. Jesus did not call you to be idle. He did not call you to live our lives for ourselves. He did not call us to be selfish. For Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that he prepared works for us to do even before he created the foundations of the earth. He created works for you to do. Not that you are saved by your works, but because you are saved, good works is a byproduct of being saved. And what is the work that he wants us to do? Church, what is the thing that he cares about the most? He cares about us taking every opportunity to speak to others about Jesus Christ. He cares about us sharing our faith with others. In you lies the truth to save any man from damnation. In you lies Jesus. He is the hope for humanity. He is the hope of all glory. In you lies the answer to every brokenness, every problem, every sinful situation. In you lies the solution. And we walk around daily and don't share that solution with anyone. Because we're upset, because we're sad, because we think our life is too hard. But you have hope, and you have glory living in you, and you have God inside of you. But we hold this truth in us. The work we've been called to do is to reach others for the cross. The work we've been called to do is to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. The work that the church has been given to do while Jesus is yet tearing, while he is not yet coming, is that we might gather more souls, that when he comes, there is a greater harvest. Have you led anyone to the cross of Jesus Christ? Have you taken the time to care that others are going into eternity without hope? Yesterday was a bittersweet day for me because we, 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 we said goodbye to a longtime member of our church, and his name was Paul Garcia. And Paul Garcia, was a, he was a funny man. He was an amazing man. And a number of years ago, Paul fell sick. And, and just last Tuesday, Paul went on to be with the Lord. But one of the greatest things that I could do was stand there and, and be able to give 
the people the hope and, and knowing that Paul is with Christ and that Paul knew the Lord and, and how John 6.37 says that anybody, anyone who comes to Jesus, he'll never drive them away and he'll never let them go. And to know that we have this assurance of salvation, the greatest thing that I was able to do was to sit there or rather stand there and proclaim that God had radically transformed Paul's life. And although he died in pain, he was right now living in glory. Church, do you share that assurance with people? I got I to admit, it was one of the happiest funerals I've ever been to. Every single person who came up to share must have been sold out and sanctified for Jesus Christ. Because each one said to the people, you should receive Jesus. You should have the assurance that we have. And each one proclaimed the gospel. Because we have the hope of glory in us, and it is our responsibility to share it with others. What is stopping you from sharing Jesus? What is stopping you from caring about the people around you who don't know Christ? My father told me a story that one day he was driving from New Jersey from a, a campania in a church service, and he was with this lady who they called Mama Leo. And, and, and they were talking about her marital situation, and she was miserable as could be. I mean, this woman was just miserable as all heck, and she was just talking negative after negative after negative. And my father's just sitting there listening, and, 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 and they pulled up to her house, and my dad said, listen, before you go in, let, let's pray for your husband. Her response, my uncle's laughing. He knows this one. She said, no, pastor. No, 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 no. Somebody has to go to hell. That was her response. On one part, it's almost humorous, except to think that although we don't say that, that's how we live our lives. Because we have this hope. We have this truth. We also have this selfishness. We also have this Lack of desire to see God move in the lives of others. And one of the biggest hindrances to you sharing your faith is you, you think that you're not good enough. And that if people saw your life, they would say, well, how can you talk to me about God if you have all those problems? Not realizing that God specializes in broken vessels. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to be yielded. And for you to say, God, if you can use anything, you, you can use me. Because there are people who are slipping into eternity who don't know him. If you care, you would share. One of the things that Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1 to the church, because they were ready to just give up on life because they thought they had left behind. And he says, no, listen, don't. He says, this is what you should do. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. In other words, he says, guys, you should be praying to God that the message of the gospel is preached throughout the world. You should be praying that the people in your neighborhoods get saved. You should be praying for your family to get saved. You should be praying that God touches people in your life. You should be praying that God uses you to talk to people at your job. But let me tell you something, if you would just open up your heart and you would say, God, show me the moment you've given me, the opportunities that you've given me, you will walk into a place and see the opportunities that God has given you to reach others. 
And you will see that people will come to you with their issues and problems. And it is an opportunity for you not to gossip, but for you to say, I, I know a man who can help you. And his name is Jesus. Because this is what he did for me. And you can tell him your story. He's calling us to share our faith. Just a few days ago, my daughter has this problem with her. She wants everything that's in my hands. Whether it's a phone, whether it's a remote, a drink. I go through a drive-thru. Before I even get what I ordered, all I hear in the backseat, ah, ah, ah. But just the other day, she grabbed my headphones, and I was done with it, so I, I let her. And she got fascinated with the fact that part of it, the part you plug into the phone, was metal. And she's looking at it, and she puts it in her mouth. I'm like, that's caca. She's like, yeah, that's caca. And then she walks away, and it got a little quiet. And I'm like, Aria, where are you? And I go to my room, and as I walk into my room, she is on my side of the bed, which seems to be her favorite part, not the actual bed, because she won't, she won't come next to me. She just wants her mother. I don't know why. We've got to pray about that. <laughs> she is always playing with the stuff, whether it's the humidifier, whether it's the plugs. And she's always playing with the stuff there, and she has the metal part, and she's about to stick it into the socket. I'm by the door. She's about 10 feet away or more. You know what I didn't do? I didn't say, I don't want to offend her. You know, if I yell, somebody might report me. I might lose my daughter. You know what I didn't say? I didn't say to myself, well, you know, she's going to have to deal with the consequences of this one. You know, I didn't say, that's your problem, not mine. And then, and then when I called out to her, I didn't say, Aria, hey, psst. I didn't. Pastor, what are you getting at? Is that when I saw that she was doing something that could possibly harm her or end her life, I said, Aria! What are you doing? And she turned around. Her bottom lip began to shake. And she cried. And I didn't feel bad because I saved her life. And some of us walk around not sharing the gospel because we think that somebody will get offended that you shared that they're living in sin. It's like this. It's if we're sitting in a dark room and somebody flips the switch on, oh, wait, why'd you do that for? But after a moment, their eyes will adjust to the light and they won't feel as bad anymore. And what you got to do is learn that when you share your faith, you're shining a light in a dark place and for a moment they might get upset. They might be like a roach and scurry away, but you know that you are doing something that is bringing life to them. And I didn't feel bad for shouting at my little girl. I didn't feel bad saying, no, don't do that again. I didn't feel bad putting her in timeout. Didn't feel bad. Because I knew that I probably just saved her from some pain and some suffering. How much more should we be animated to save those who are facing eternal destruction, eternal life without Christ? How much more 
Should we call out to them, church? For what is the work that Jesus said the church should be doing while he is gone? He said we should be reaching souls. But some of us are just reaching goals. And there's nothing wrong with goals. Be ambitious. Have a great life. But let me tell you, we would give account to God for every person he put in our path and we did not speak to. That is the job of the church. What is the response of the church knowing that the end times are approaching? What should the church do? We should be doing the work the master has left the servants in his absence. And that work, church, is the saving of souls, the reaching of the lost. Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus says this, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. He was telling a story, but he says this, however... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith in the earth? Here's my, here's my third point for you, my final point for you, and it's really simple. We must be faithful in the present while awaiting the promise of his future. We should be faithful in the present while awaiting the promise of the future that Jesus has promised us. And so Jesus said this. He had a concern. Jesus had a concern. And do you know what his concern was? It was this. He says, when I come back to rapture my church, when the Son of Man, when he returns, will I find faith? It's not talking about like faith to Seek God and to pray. He's talking about will he find people being faithful at what he called us to do? Will he find us being faithful at the work that he has given us? The things that kept Jesus questioning because he did not have all the answers. He said it was this, I wonder if I will find people with faith. This is why he told the story of the virgins, because five fell asleep. Five of them weren't ready. It was people without somebody say faith. We should be so grateful today that he's not yet returned. Because he's giving us every opportunity to right the wrongs in our lives. He's giving us every opportunity to continue to be faithful in light of the fact that we know that Jesus is returning at some point in time in history, we know this. And our job is to be faithful. And one of the hardest things, I wish y'all would be truthful today, is to continuously be faithful to God when the world calls you from every direction. It's hard to be faithful to God when we have so many better t- things to do with our time. It's hard to be faithful to God when, it not, when the things in our life hurt, when they're painful. It's hard to be faithful to the work that God has left us to when there's pain. And the greatest thing that we can thank God for is that he's not yet sent the son because some of us might have been left behind a long time ago. But by his mercy and by his grace and by his everlasting love, he has not yet called us home. And why? I believe it's because he's waiting for the church to be faithful, to wake up, 
because it was when the call went out and the other five virgins woke up and the five who were unprepared went off to get oil. It was when they finally woke up that he came back. It was when Israel had given up hope that there were slaves in Egypt. They had given up all hope and hope had been murdered and killed and it was gone. It was then that God sent a deliverer. It was when they were in Babylon for hundreds of years and they were captives. It was when all hope of ever going back home had been gone that he sent them home. It is not time to be idle. It is not time to lose hope. It is not time to give in to the world. It is time to stand firm. It is time to be watchful. It is time for us as a body, as individuals to to share the faith and it is time for us to be faithful in this present life that when he returns he might find people with faith for soon and very soon the master of the house shall return and how shall he find us will he find us about our father's business or will he find us abandoning it for the things of this world And Paul would write in Hebrews 10, verse 37, my final verse for you, for yet a very little while, he that cometh shall come, and he shall not tarry. That means he shall not wait. And here's the thing. We might never in our lifetime see his return, but we are commanded in Scripture to be watchful, to share our faith, and to be faithful until the time he returns. And maybe you're here today and you haven't been watchful and you haven't been faithful and you've fallen off the path and you've allowed the things of the world, you've allowed yourself to get in the way. I implore you by the grace of God that you should return to him, that you should come to him with all brokenness, and that you should say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want to make the preparation necessary for the greatest day of your life, church, might be just around the corner. And the question I have for you is what preparation are we making for the greatest day of our life? Would you stand to your feet? What preparation are we making? What preparation are we making? Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads all across this room? We want to thank you again for listening to Citywide Church's podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. If you would like to share how God may have blessed you through this message, please feel free to share your testimony on our Facebook page at Citywide Church. And while you're there, go ahead and like our page for daily updates. You can also follow us on Instagram at Citywide Church. If you would like to get more information about this ministry or to support us financially, you can visit our website at www.citywidechurch.us. We hope you tune in next week to our podcast. Thank you again, and as always, be encouraged and stay blessed.